Buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Time now for Rocky Jordan, brought to you by Del Monte Foods, the brand preferred by more women than any other line of canned fruits and vegetables in the world. Far from the mosque Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Cafe Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against the backdrop of antiquity. Del Monte presents Rocky Jordan and this week's story The Big Heist. started on the afternoon I took a walk to the British Embassy office. One of my customers the night before had lost his passport at the tambourine. I was going to turn it over to the consul and have him deliver it to the owner. I went through a large plate glass door into the anteroom of the embassy office. There was a map of the British Isles on the wall and a couple of travel posters of the Dominions. A big mahogany desk stood in the middle of the floor right next to a full waste paper basket. Behind the desk sat a British brunette with a French haircut. She was the consul's secretary. You could tell she was real efficient by the way she was spreading red polish on her fingernails. Yes? May I help you? My name's Jordan. I run the Cafe Tambourine. One of your nationals left his passport in my place last night. Oh? Well, here it is. Uh, You'll see to it that he gets it. Oh, yes. Just toss it on that pile. My fingernails are still wet. Oh, sure. Uh, Thanks so much, Mr. Jordan. I'm sure whoever it is that lost their passport appreciates your returning it very much. Excuse me a moment, Miss... um... Buckley, Helen Buckley. I couldn't help seeing that telegram lying on your desk. Oh. It says it's from McLean. Could that be Freddie McLean from London? Why, yes. Flew with the RAF, flies British transport now? The same one. Oh, we're old friends. We always get together every time he makes Cairo. I uh, see he's coming in. Yes, Telegram says, keep Thursday night open. You saw it. Say, I don't like to break in on anything, but how about you and I meeting him at the airport together? Have supper on me, rehash old times a bit, and then, well, you two can carry on from there. Well... Just a suggestion. Skip it. No, 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 no. I suppose it's all right. Might even be fun. It's a date, Mr. Jordan. Make it rocky. All right. Rocky. Thursday evening, then. Well, Helen Buckley and I were at the airport Thursday evening waiting. The Cairo airport's a modern affair, a very busy place. Planes shuttling in and out from all parts of the world. DWA flight 907 for Athens, Rome, Geneva, Paris, and New York. From where we were standing, I could see the big constellation being ready for its flight to the United States. It gave me a lonely feeling. But I shook it off as the PA spoke again. British transport... Flight 6-1, arriving now from London, England. Oh, that should be Freddy's plane, Rocky. Yeah. Come on, let's get closer. 
We watched the big plane taxi up to gate four. Then they cut the motors and the passengers began to disembark. Then we watched the crew come out and we were in for a surprise. Freddie McLean wasn't among them. Well, we asked a few questions about him, but no one knew anything. We figured we might as well leave. That's when I spotted an... I talked to a man because the yawning young woman at the desk just yawned and shook her head. Then yawned some more and pointed at a potted palm on the man sitting beside it who I should talk to. Good morning. My name's Danny Clover. Oh, that's nice. You got some beef, maybe? See the girl at the desk. I did. She's sleepy. Ah, you're a real quick lad. So? So that makes me an observant cop. A cop, huh? Well, that makes my name Frank Shepard, houseman. Let's see your buzzer, friend, so I can have a genuine feeling about you. Yeah, here. Yeah. I did something you don't like? Joan Gale. I want to look at her room. Okay, come on. She did something bad? Go ahead, shock me. What'd she do bad? She got murdered. Oh, bad as that, huh? Sad, real sad. And here. Joint screams at you, don't it? It's too dark to tell. Turn on the lights, Frank. Sure. Better? Oh, blue lights. What do you know? That, uh, that means something? She have many friends, Frank? Callers? Tell you the truth about that, Clover. Joan Gale never made me look up from the racing form. Her friends, neither. I wouldn't know. So, no gentleman callers. And I thought I was being clear as crystal. I wouldn't know. Who are you? All right, Rummy, outside. You uh, want to give this policeman uh, a bad impression of Dunhill Apartments? Uh, wait a minute. Who's this guy, Frank? Uh, refugee from 109 down the hall. He greets the gladsome day with a crock. Yesterday, he stumbled into Mrs. Stutman's room while she had her hair in the henna. Didn't you, John? Huh? Oh, sure, sure, me? Hey, uh, I tell your friends, mister, that today I met good old John. Oh, that makes you want to fix my tie, huh? Come on, come on, good old John boy, baby, pally. Outside, good old Frank boy. I watched old Frank boy push his pally on his face into pally's home in 109. Then Frank Boy came back and was the model of a house stick with the economy size helping hand. We searched Joan Gale's apartment, found a lot of things. Things that pieced together the life of Joan Gale by night and by day. Things that made Frank Boy all happy inside. But there was nothing that added up to her dying in a bed of cut flowers. Back at headquarters, there were more fragments, more scraps of a woman's life. Sergeant Tartaglia offered them to me. Uh, this is Joan Gale, Danny. She had a slight record in Scranton, PA. Hmm? For disturbances of the peace, for questioning, for, uh, you know, Danny. Yeah, the alibis of Kuppelheim and his clerk, Roy Austin. You had them checked? Oh, yeah, Danny, sure. It's just like this Mr. Kuppelheim and Mr. Austin told you. Kuppelheim was in the sack. The clerk, Roy Austin, closed up Kuppelheim's flower shop at 11 o'clock. Went home. To the knowledge of his landlord, did not leave the premises till you rousted him out of bed to question him at said Kuppelheim's flower shop. Hmm. How do you figure, Tataglia? You know, I'm glad you asked me, Danny, because I got a theory. Now, the way I picture this whole crime... Oh, for second, is... uh, pardon me. Uh, surely, Danny, go right ahead. They've thrown it away. She had it, though, Bliss. I saw it. I see. 
Well, what happened? What's wrong? Why hasn't he come in? Captain Sabai, you'll please take Mr. Jordan and Miss Buckley's addresses so I may question them later if necessary. Now... Don't we get any explanation? I'm afraid not. Not only no explanation, Jordan, but a further order. You are to mention McLean's name to no one. Nor are you to speak of what has occurred here. Is that clear? Yeah. Now you are free to go, but do not make any trips or plans of trips out of the city without notifying us first. Something was up, something big. And whatever it was, it looked like Helen and I were right in the middle. Well, it was past supper time when we left Sam and Bliss, so we picked up a cab and headed for the house of Pompeii. But our appetites were someplace else, and we took it lightly. As we stepped out of the restaurant and started down the Sharia Muhammad Ali, going toward Helen's apartment house, I spotted a tan gabardine overcoat leaning against the telephone pole. It was draped around a heavy set man with hanging jowls and black horn-rimmed glasses. I knew we were being watched. I saw Helen to her apartment house safely. Then I turned my attention to the guy in the glasses. But as I moved toward him, he moved in the opposite direction. I had to pick up speed. He led me around the corner and down to the alley where he ducked in. I ducked in after him. The man in a gabardine overcoat was still running. I didn't notice the two guys standing against the wall till one of them got his foot in the way. Just as I figured. Poor sense of balance. Go on, Maxie, help him up. Ah, oh, save it. I can handle it myself. No, no, Maxie wants to help you. Sure. Maxie wants to help you. Come on. All right, Jordan. Strain yourself. Nothing strains Maxie. He takes pills. Yeah, I take pills. You're a little out of your district, Jordan. Maybe. The tambourine's the other way. What you doing over here? Passing out handbills. Uh, what kind of an answer is that? What kind of a question is it? What do you guys want? You were following a friend of ours. Oh, was I? He doesn't like to be followed. Well, neither do I. What you like isn't the point, Jordan. Who is he? guy with the glasses. A bad question, Jordan. Show him how bad that question was, Maxie. Sure. Ripley. Boxes of the Ripley shoe distributing business lay in a crazy, wanton pattern around the body of John Ripley. On his face was a loose, embarrassed grin, as if he were ashamed of his clumsiness, ashamed of not knowing how to handle shoe boxes, ashamed of his torn coat, his torn body, of the blood that crowded through the bullet hole in his chest. Now there was nothing to ask of good old John. Nothing. Nothing at all. Listening to Broadway's My Beat, starring Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Broadway is a place that can get happy about a lot of things. A wrestler from Argentina who walks on his hands and wrestles with his feet. The honeymoon of Tess Trueheart. And a couple of murders served piping hot for dinner reading. It's the diet Broadway likes. It's a fine way to get fat. My part of it was serving up a few crumbs to the gentlemen in the press room. An arrest is expected momentarily, I told them, and dared them to make six paragraphs out of that. 
They did, and it came out saying the police had no idea who the killer was. Or, as Sergeant Tataglia phrased it, Danny, I don't have no idea who the killer is. Well, the last time I talked to you, Tataglia, you said you had a theory about who killed Joan Gale and Mr. Ripley. Well, Danny, I got a confession to make. Confession, huh? You killed him? Ah, uh, no, Danny. I had a theory, and I put it down on paper and added and subtracted, and the answer comes out that they killed each other. Only they died 12 hours apart. That's interesting. How did you arrive at that? Well, you see, Danny, uh, you got company, Danny. I've got to see you right away, Mr. Pope. Oh, come in. Uh, Roy Austin, isn't it? Have a chair, Mr. Austin. Thank you very much. Danny... Uh, don't go to Taglia. This is Mr. Austin. He's the clerk at Kappelheim's Flower Shop. Hi, Mr. Austin. How do you do? What can I do for you, Mr. Austin? I want you police to protect me. I... Yes, I demand it. Why, are you afraid of something? You would be, too. Here, read this. It was slipped under my door at my rooming house. Uh huh? Dear Roy Austin, make no plans, Mr. Austin, because you will die within a day. Who'd want to write you a note like this, you know? Of course I don't. That's your job, Mr. Clover. Doesn't that note tell you something? Not much, except that whoever wrote it tried to disguise his handwriting. That's pretty obvious. Well, that may be, but it doesn't make me any the less frightened. Mr. Austin, the department will give you all the protection you need. How? Uh, one of our men will follow you wherever you go and will That's see... not enough. I refuse to leave this building until you apprehend whoever wrote that note. Mr. Austin. I refuse to leave this building. While sending $1 million in gold coin to his branch bank here in Cairo. I see. That's what the armored cars and guards were for. Unfortunately, Jordan, there was a leak. Perhaps the telegram McLean sent to Helen Buckley. Perhaps something else. At any rate, there was a leak. The plane did not arrive at the Cairo airport. So that's big trouble. Communication with it was lost someplace over the desert. And so, Jordan, a huge cargo plane, Freddie McLean and two other men, and one million dollars in gold coin have all completely vanished. <laughs> Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. One sure way to prove to yourself what a wonderful cooking aid Del Monte tomato sauce is, is to ask experienced homemakers, cooks who have used it year after year. Mrs. Arthur Burgreen of Portland, Oregon, for instance, is one of these experienced cooks. She said, Over the years, I've used lots of Del Monte tomato sauce, and I've always liked it. To me, Del Monte tomato sauce is superior in flavor and rich red color, and it's seasoned just right. <laughs> you should see my husband go for the rich home-cooked dishes I make with Del Monte tomato sauce. Spanish rice, I think, is his favorite, but he likes them all. Yes, I certainly am a Del Monte fan. Cooking with Del Monte tomato sauce is so easy... And the way it brings out the flavors of the foods it is cooked with is really wonderful. Thank you, Mrs. Burgreen. Yes, friends, cooking with Del Monte tomato sauce is so easy, and it has a very special way of bringing out all the flavor of the food you cook with it. Look for Del Monte tomato sauce, the original tomato sauce with the matchless flavor. <laughs> Now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Big Heist. I wasn't sure whether she had anything to be sorry about. I suppose you expected to see me in tears, Mr. Clover. I wasn't sure. 
Just how do you feel about your husband's death? Relieved, I think. Clean. If you've got any conscience about lying to policemen, you've got to feel some remorse, too. And you lied. You didn't tell me about paying blackmail and bringing your husband home. I didn't tell you, so I didn't lie. We can group it under the general heading. Maybe this will do something to you, Miss Ripley. You're in a lot of trouble. How? How am I in trouble? You're a murder suspect. Oh, oh. you'd be surprised, Mrs. Ripley. We've had other coffee drinkers murder people. Even a file on murderers who made fine hollandaise sauces. Oh, but why should I... Why do murderers kill? You had the motive. Joan Gale, because she got along so well with your husband. Your husband, because he got along so well with Joan Gale. Mr. Clover, listen to me. All right. Mr. Clover, I first suspected my husband when he made an unnecessary trip to Scranton. Scranton, huh? Yes. John's business interested me. I knew all about it. So I knew he didn't have to go to Scranton on business. Go on. When he came back, he suddenly started to send me flowers. Just like that, flowers. Several times a week. That way I knew exactly when he saw Joan. By the flowers. Flowers, huh? I suddenly make a stab in the dark. Flowers from Kuppelheim. Yes, yes, that's right. Then when my husband was in trouble at the hotel, I went there and did what you said I did. Simply because once I married John... You did that, then? I brought him home. He told me everything that happened between Joan Gale and himself. Everything. Uh-huh. Then he left. Then I called you. I called you because there was the matter of my self-respect. You're telling me you didn't shoot either one? I didn't. There's a grocery store on the corner, Mrs. Ripley. You can go that far so you can get your coffee. I'm going where there's flowers. There might be an unfilled order there. Maybe you'll get some. Uh, heavens have brought me in a torment, Mr. Clover. My heart bleeds for you, Koppelheim. Put those petals down and talk. Gosh, it's no good. You've upset me so. Coming out to size. Just massacred. How long have you had John Ripley for a customer? Uh, John Ripley? The shoebox murder keys? Oh, yeah. See, that is a thrilling thing. How long was he your customer? And he began coming in about the time that clerk of mine started working for me. Roy Austin? Yeah. Well, they got along famously, those two. Always whispering about something or other. Then Mr. Ripley would place a very big order. <laughs> so I didn't really mind. They were whispering behind my back. When did Roy Austin come to work for you? Why, Mr. Clover? Why do you ask? Is he in trouble? <laughs> I told you I didn't trust him. Uh, don't drool at the mouth, couple. I'm just answering my question. When did Austin come to work? Uh, it was about three weeks ago. He came to me with a letter of recommendation from some queasy little shop in Scranton. I took the chance anyhow because I needed help so desperately. Scranton. Do you have the letter? Yes. <laughs> yes, of course I have. Wait a minute, I'll find it here. Let's see. Ah, yes, you did. <laughs> here you are. Hmm. I've seen this handwriting before. Where's your phone, couple? It's right here in the counter. It's a business phone, Mr. Clover. Yeah, all right, I owe you a nickel. Yeah, yeah, what? Hmm. All, right. all right. Not too long. Sergeant Tartaglia. Danny Clover, keep Austin happy, Tartaglia. I'm coming up to talk to him. Oh, you can't do that, Danny. I'm not here. I finally persuaded him it was safe he should go home. What? Sure, Danny, sure. I talked to him into he should go home. Took a lot of my most clever ruses, but I finally convinced him. 
Headquarters, Danny. What's up? Maybe a guy who asked protection of the police, Mugovan, just to throw the police off balance. Huh? Maybe a killer. Let's go. This corner house. Hey, Danny, look. Guy just don't, jumped off the fire escape. Hey, that's him, Mugovan. Come on. In the alley. A drop no, I'll fire over his head. Austin! Austin, stop! Hey, he ain't playing. There he goes, Danny. Turn in the damn avenue. Yeah. We gotta catch him, Mugovan. We can't shoot in this crowd. Hey, hey, look, Danny. Into the building. He's running in there. I see him. In here. I will mean. I beg your pardon, lady. Did a man just come in here? A man in a gray sweater? In and through that door on the other side of the platform. Thanks. Stay here, Mugovan. Don't let him get out this way. Yeah, Danny, sure. I'm up here, Mr. Clover, somewhere here in the darkness. Think you can find me before I kill you? His voice plunged down at me, down through the shadows, down the long flight of stairs. Roy was in darkness. That was the advantage he had. Every other step I took was lit up by the screaming light of a big electric sign flashing revival tonight. It shouted through the window, revival tonight. Still alive, Mr. Clover? I'm still alive. All in one piece, Mr. Clover. For how long, Roy? <laughs> What's the matter, Mr. Clover? I'll pull it. Not a trick, is it? Because it'll do you no good. Come down, Roy. My gun's empty. Come to me, Mr. Clover. Up these stairs. Come to me. Pray, Mr. Clover. Pray for salvation. Because I'm going to hasten your death with this gun. Because you're a sinner. Joan Gale was a sinner, too, wasn't she, Roy? Yes, yes, she was. She was my wife, Stratton. Did you know that? No. Yes, she was. She was good. Until Satan... Rocky. Rocky Jordan. The same. Where, where, where am I? You're in a camel driver's tent on the desert. But how did you get here? Eh, long story, Mac. How do you feel? Well, better. The last thing I remember, I was wandering around the desert. Yeah. Um, you strong enough to ride a horse? Yes, I think so. How's the shoulder? Well, as good as can be expected... We got to get into the city. A lot of people are wondering about you. I can imagine. Look, I know about the gold coin you were flying for the bank. What happened? I still don't believe it. Let's hear it. Well, we were flying without incident until we hit a stretch of the desert close to Cairo. The next thing I knew, there was a strange voice on my radio. It came from a fighter plane on my tail. Fighter plane? Yes. He had his guns on us. Well, we weren't carrying any guns. It was a secret flight, and we didn't want to get any attention by loading up with guns. Anyway, they... Fighter plane made us cut our radio, then forced us into a landing on some isolated airstrip in the desert somewhere. That sure took a lot of planning. Well, they thought it was worth it. There was a lot of gold on my plane. What happened to your crew? Yeah, dead. I, I got away somehow. I, I imagine they didn't care much. They knew I'd caught a bullet, and I, I suppose they thought that I'd die out on the desert. You remember where that airstrip is? Approximately. All right, let's get into town and tell Sabaya. Come on, I'll help you. No, no, 
Maxie just separated him. You fellas are pretty busy, aren't you? Oh, there's enough to do. Maxie, throw a little sand over that camel driver and scatter the horses. Sure, Zarko. You know, McLean, we owe Jordan a vote of thanks. He was a good enough Joe to lead us right to you. All right. Out of the tent. All right, climb in the back seat of the Jeep. What's the tour? Don't ask. You won't like it. Let's just say a friend of mine's real anxious to see the both of you. I bet he's nearsighted. And also rich. You know, he, he just picked up a million dollars in gold someone left sitting around in an old airplane. He won't have it long. He'll lose it in taxes. Uh-uh. My friend just won't report it as income. And anyone who tries to is going to get separated. Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Inspector Monklin's office, Gino Romero. Oh, Gino. What did you find out? Did you locate any of them, beneficiaries of the crash of Flight 6? Si, senor. It was an affair most simple. A matter of making a telephone call to the airport. Then they've left Mexico City. Si, senor. The senorita Marvel Terrence has taken the 10 o'clock plane this morning to Acapulco. Oh. Senor Blakely has taken the 11.30 plane to Acapulco. Senor Ramon de Lagos has taken the two o'clock... Plane to Acapulco. And what about Don Serrano? Oh, with him, he's different. At 2.45, he's departed from Mexico City in a special charter plane. Look, Gino, is there another flight to Acapulco this afternoon? But, of course, at 4.30. Already, I have two reservations. Good. I'll meet you at the airport. What's the flight number? Gino. I'm uh, scared to think of it. This one is also called Flight 6. <laughs> Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Mexico City, to the Home Office Guarantee Transport Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut... Assignment, the Flight 6 matter. Expense account continued. Item 9, $63.45. Incidentals in Mexico City and plane fare to Acapulco. One more of the sharp contrasts of Mexico. We left the stiff formality of the city behind us, the cool, thin air of the high plateau, and 50 minutes later, we stepped off the plane and into the steaming heat of the tropics. Barefoot tourists in shorts and barefoot natives in white cotton dungarees. Soft brown skins and flashing teeth. Mangoes, papayas, and the heady scent of tropical flowers. Blue sky, blue Pacific, and a burning sun. And a bay so bright and beautiful it breaks your heart. Acapulco. 
Gino Romero of the Department of Civil Air Transport knew his way around. So I waited for him while he checked his contacts, airport police, custom agents, limousine drivers. And in a few minutes, he'd made his rounds and rejoined me in front of the terminal. It is an affair more simple, senor. A merely matter of ask the question and listen to the answer. What did you find out, Gino? The senorita Miss Terns is there at the Hotel Los Flamingos. So? Senor Blakely is also stay there. Ramon de Lagos is go to the Hotel Caleta. And Don Serrano is stay at the Club de Pesca. So you see? Yeah, I see. All right, Gino, let's get going. And where we are going is to the... Uh... We'll put up at the Los Flamingos. That is what I'm expecting. Oh, she's very beautiful, senor. True, but there are even better reasons for staying there. Que dice? Well, in some way, I mean, I'm not sure how. I think this whole thing centers right around Marvel Terrence. You think it's possible she are guilty of the crash of the flight six to collect the insurance? Maybe. Or she might have been used. Or maybe... Oh, I don't know, Gino. But it's about time we found out. Expense account, item 10, $1.50. Limousine fare from the airport to the hotel. The Flamingos is built on a point near the far end of the peninsula, set on a headland high above the white smother of surf below. And there, just before dusk, with the western sky a yellow blaze of glory beyond the far rim of the Pacific, I found her. She was sitting on the open terrace by the edge of the cliff. And once again, she was alone. Sit down, Johnny. Thanks. I suppose I should be surprised, but I'm not, really. I guess I rather expected you. Well, then wasn't it a waste of time to run away from Mexico City? I've always run away, I guess. And most of the time, I imagine you've been followed. Or maybe I wanted to face you here, where it's so beautiful. Where perhaps you'd be able to understand me a little better. Is that what you want, Marvel? To be understood? Doesn't every woman? I thought it was more often the man. And usually it's his wife who doesn't understand him, isn't it? I see this isn't going to be just a social chat. <laughs> oh, I doubt if it could ever be just a social chat. Not with you. Now, you've got too much impact for that. A compliment? That's a fact. There's no place else in the world with sunsets like the ones here. Every evening. It's like there's another land way off there in the west. It's a strange, bright, golden land. And it keeps calling, coaxing. Only in a little while, it'll disappear. And everything will be dark off there in the west. Maybe you do understand me, Johnny. Maybe that's why I'm half afraid of you. <laughs> another reason I ran, maybe. I can be a fool, easy. Sort of hereditary defect, you might say. Well, that's a common affliction. Rarely fatal. Rarely doesn't help. Once is enough. You know something? When I die, I want to be buried up there in the middle of a sunset. It'd be kind of lonely, wouldn't it? I think I've always been lonely. Do you know I haven't a single living relative in the world, not one? I was 14 when my parents were killed in an auto accident. I stayed in a boarding school, and the bank handled the estate. When I was 21, they turned it over to me. And since then, I've... I guess that's not what you want to know, though, is it? Not exactly. Want to tell me about it? Well, Mr. Bliss, what are you going to do about Bannister's London contact? The one who sent the telegram through to Helen. I'll have my London office trace the telegram. They'll find out who sent it and make the arrest. After that, I'll wire the London bank and tell them that $1 million in gold coin has been recovered. Yeah, that shouldn't make them sore. 
Well, Sam, what about it? What about what, Jordan? I still want to know how you got to Bannister's hideout. As I said, Jordan, you told us how. A moment, please. Now, uh, listen. Listen, I haven't got much time. I think I got a lead on him. A lead? What do you mean? I got a visitor here right now. A camel driver who says he found someone out in the desert. Freddy, I think. And he's got him hidden away. Where? I don't know. I'm going with him now. How do you know he's telling you the... Well, Jordan, does that answer your question? My conversation with Helen. Mm. He had my phone tapped. Oh, uh, I'm afraid I'm responsible for that, Mr. Jordan. You see, I couldn't trust anyone. While you were here last night, I had my men set it up. After that, Jordan, it was just a matter of following you through the desert. Well, I'm not complaining. At any rate, Jordan, Mr. Bliss has now learned something that I have known for a long, long time. What's that, sir? If one ever wishes to locate the source of trouble in Cairo, one should simply observe your movements very carefully. (laughs) Why? Because somehow, Jordan, you always manage to end up right in the middle of it. For the finest in tomato flavor, enjoy the whole family of Del Monte tomato products. Del Monte catsup and chili sauce. Del Monte tomato sauce and canned tomatoes. And Del Monte tomato juice. Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Give me just one evening, will you, Johnny? Sure. And thank my lucky star for the chance. You're sweet. I'm saying it now, without any strings. No matter how things work out, I'll still mean it. You're a sweet guy, Johnny. Give me time to change. I went to my room and made two phone calls while I waited for her. The operator at the Club de Pesca informed me that Don Serrano was not in. The clerk at the Hotel Caleta said the same thing about Ramon de Lagos. I didn't leave my name with either of them. Bill Blakely was staying in room 23, a few doors on down the terrace, so I decided to go have a talk with him before I went out to dinner with Marvel Terrence. But as it happened, I didn't have to go to that much trouble. Yeah, who is it? Blakely, I'd like to talk to you. Come on in. Do you always cover your visitors with a gun? Only when I spot them listening outside my door. I don't know I what I saw you... your shadow against the shutter there. You've been standing outside for the last five minutes, Blakely. You listened to me make a couple of phone calls. Did you learn anything you 